Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Why Milton Erickson Went Off Script with His Patience and Understanding the Timeless Principles Behind the Great Hypnotist's Techniques. Sometimes, in fact, more times than is realized, therapy can be firmly established on a sound basis only by the utilization of silly, absurd, irrational, and contradictory statements. Dr. Milton H. Erickson. Now, in my last written piece on Milton Erickson, I suggested that what really made Erickson so effective at lifting people's pain was his timeless use of principles. Calling this Ericksonian hypnosis is, in a way, misleading. Holding up a lone genius as an exemplar might be a very human tendency, but it's a tendency that can hold us back from personal development. Ericksonian principles have been known about for thousands of years because they are universal principles. Take the following ancient Sufi story, for instance. I think it clearly demonstrates the basic therapeutic principle of emotional utilization. The physician and the paralyzed king. A powerful king was overtaken by a strange illness that rendered him paralyzed, and the king sent for a famous healer to come and cure him. This physician, however, refused to come. Enraged, the king ordered his soldiers to bind the physician and bring him forcibly to the royal chambers. You are here, declared the imperious monarch from his pillow, because I'm suffering from a strange paralysis. If you cure me, you'll receive a great reward. If you do not cure me, I'll have you killed. The physician, showing not a trace of fear, replied, To be able to treat you, my lord, I must have complete privacy. So the king ordered all the servants and soldiers to leave the royal rooms. No sooner were they alone than the physician whipped out a sharp knife and said, Now I'll have my revenge on you for threatening me in that way. And he stepped forward towards the bed where the king lay. And now the terrified monarch jumped up and ran around the room, completely forgetting his paralysis in his need to escape this crazed homicidal physician. Thus, the king was cured in the last way he would have expected to be cured, perhaps in the only possible way. Wisely, the doctor didn't wait around to be thanked, but fled the palace just ahead of the guards and went into hiding in the neighboring kingdom. The king eventually realized that perhaps he ought to reward rather than punish the man who'd saved him, and months later pardoned the physician, allowing him to return to the kingdom. See reference one of the written piece. Now, compare that thousand-year-old tale of therapeutic intervention with a case of Milton Erickson from the 20th century. A woman in California wrote to Milton Erickson that her husband was totally paralyzed as a result of a stroke, and he couldn't talk or move in any way. She asked if she could bring him to Erickson for help. Dr. Erickson found the letter so pitiful that he agreed, thinking he might be able to comfort the woman enough to allow her to accept her difficult situation. So his therapeutic um, 
uh, ambitions weren't too high for this case. She brought her husband to Phoenix, registered at a motel, and came with him to see Erickson, who had his two sons carry the man into his house. Erickson took the woman into his office. She told him that her husband, a man in his 50s, had had this stroke a year before, and for a whole year he'd been lying helpless in a ward in a hospital. The staff would point out to students in the man's presence that he was a hopeless case, that he was a terminal case, completely paralysed, unable to talk, and all that could be done for this man was to maintain his health until he eventually died. Now, the man's wife described her husband as a Prussian German, bearing in mind this wasn't too long after the war, this case. She described him as a very proud man. He'd built up a business by himself. He'd always been an active man, an omnivorous reader, and all his life he's been an extremely domineering man. And now I've had to see him lying there helpless for a year, being fed, being washed, being talked about like a child. And Erickson described the situation in his case notes. And he wrote, As she talked, I realised that I need not merely comfort the woman, something might be done with the man. As I thought it over, here was a Prussian, a short-tempered, domineering, highly intelligent, very competent man, and he'd stayed alive with a furious anger for a whole year. Erickson sat down in front of the man, who was unable to move anything but his eyelids. Then Erickson began his therapy. So, you're a Prussian German, the stupid goddamn Nazis. How incredibly stupid, conceited, ignorant and animal-like Prussian Germans are. They thought they owned the world. They destroyed their own country. What kind of epithets can you apply to those horrible animals? Erickson continued to insult the man, and in even worse ways than just described, calling him lazy and happy to lie about feeding off other people's charity. Erickson then said that he hadn't even had time to think of all the insults the man deserved, and he was to come back tomorrow to hear what Erickson really thought about him. And you're going to come back tomorrow, aren't you? And the man came back right then with an explosive, No! I said, So for a year you haven't talked. Now all I had to do was call you a dirty Nazi pig and you start talking. You're going to come back to here tomorrow and get the real description of yourself. And the man said, No! 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 And these are Erickson, Erickson's words again. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to get to his feet. He knocked his wife to one side and staggered out of the office. She started to rush after him, but I stopped her and I said, sit down. The worst he can do is crash to the floor. If he can stagger out to the car, that's exactly what we want. He lurched out of the house, even down the steps, and he managed to crawl into the car. My sons were watching him, ready to run to his aid. After about two months, the man was ready to return to California. He limped badly, had circumscribed use of his arm and some aphasic speech, and he could read books, but only if he held the book far to the side. Erickson asked the man what he thought had helped him, and he replied, My wife brought me to you for hypnosis. I always had the feeling, after that first day when you got me angry, you were hypnotizing me and making me do each thing that I succeeded in doing. But I'll take credit myself for walking 15 miles one day in the Tucson Zoo. 
I was very tired afterwards, but I did it. So, what was all that about? Okay, and really we need to know what motivates a person. Any decent therapy school will teach its students the principle of emotional utilization. But the intuition of how to use utilization needs to be developed by the individual therapist. This comes closer to our sense of wisdom than carefully planned therapeutic strategy, important though that may be. Neither the physician in the ancient tale, nor Erickson himself, who I sure hadn't read that tale, used what we would recognize as psychotherapeutic technique, but relied instead on an intuition based on clear perception of the personalities and drivers of these men. Sometimes you need perception and courage to truly help someone. Okay, But surely this is wrong. The art of suspending judgment. So many of us have been conditioned to instantly accept or reject something in simplistic right or wrong terms in li- in, within limited contexts. This is a form of social conditioning uh, that is effective, highly effective for many things in life. Is this correct? Have I been offended? Are my prejudices confirmed? Uh, is this uh, acceptable th- thought and speech? And if not, who's to blame? Okay. But sometimes this instant opinion forming can block creative opportunities for learning about something, truly, that might just contain an, an important truth that we need to know. Young children, with their uncluttered perceptions, haven't yet learned to think like that, so reality can be more immediately available to them. So if we can bypass that learned reaction, that habit of instantly approving or disapproving, accepting, rejecting... Uh, reinforced as it is by YouTube and Facebook and likes and dislikes and so forth, and polarity of thought, we might be able, for a little while at least, to neither accept nor reject an idea, or to believe or disbelieve instantly, or like or dislike, but instead to look, think and examine and experience something. Okay, Bypassing the yes-no uh, dislike, like response and suspending judgment and prejudice can make us better learners in certain situations. Because what's true or good might not always look like it's supposed to look. Understanding trance and motivation. If you understand hypnosis, you'll know that both the physician from the tale, the ancient Sufi tale, and Milton Erickson used emotion to hypnotize these men into a narrowed focus that brought about their healing. But to someone with only a restricted or rigid idea of how healing or hypnosis must happen, this might be hard to credit or even recognize. The story of the king, many hundreds of years old, prefigures the life-imitating art Milton Erickson case, although it might itself, of course, have been based on a real event, the, the ancient story, I mean. Both the king and the Prussian were haughty men, entitled to and used to powerfully exerting their own wills, and to control events, and both prone to anger. The physician uses the profound trance of fear as a motivator to have the king overcome his paralysis, while Erickson uses the trance of rage to help his patient talk and walk again. I myself, not that I'm comparing myself to the physician or Erickson, use the principle of the need to feel feminine to help a woman walk without her Zimmer frame. So many therapists look to technique in the hope that they can apply a one-size-fits-all approach to problems. But even with such universally effective approaches as the rewind technique, we still need to take account of the unique 
motivations of individuals. Once you have the principle, technique follows from it. Whenever we apply a principle, we play a role. So the physician and Ericsson were certainly playing a role, and so do you every time you sit with a client in a therapeutic encounter. Someone watching this, and not you of course, might narrowly assume I'm suggesting somehow that all paralysis is curable or that it's always necessary to use high drama to cure extreme conditions. We don't want to fall into the trap of that kind of narrow thinking or that I'm condoning threatening people with knives or insulting vulnerable people. I'm not saying that at all because we're looking at the bigger picture, the principle here, okay, which can transcend technique. So principles may be the building blocks of technique, but when you've truly grasped the principles, you can then build your own technique that might seem strange from the outside, someone who doesn't understand the pattern of the technique being applied. The principles are timeless, but a spontaneous technique might only fit a single, very particular moment in time with one person uh, amongst billions. People miss this when they assume that this is how Ericsson did therapy or this is how the physician from the story must always have acted. The right thing to do in a particular set of circumstances might not look anything like the standard obvious but perhaps short-sighted so-called right thing to do that you'd find in a textbook. When people act from experience and intuition it might look crazy from the outside. I describe in an article of uh, and another video of me flirting outrageously with an elderly lady in an old folks home as a way of getting her to overcome her phobia of using her Zimmer frame. Not something I'd ever done before or am ever likely to do again unless and until such time as I myself are in an old people's home. Um, and I hope no school will ever teach that as a technique, but the principle behind these methods are sound. Dig beneath the mystique of Milton Erickson's case histories, and the principles are all pretty simple. I like to teach principles first, techniques second. Once you fully understand the principles, you find that the standard technique can sometimes be helpfully transcended. A good hypnosis or psychotherapy school will never just teach you technique without giving you the means, the principles, to build technique. No training provider worth their salt will ever suggest that you read scripts to your clients because sometimes in therapy, as in life, we all need to go off script sometimes. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Turrell of Uncommon Knowledge and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. (laughs) 